Hello, my name is Brian Martin and you are listening to episode 18 of the Running Technique Tips podcast and I'm now joined by my co-host Lisa Biffin from Sydney. How are you going, Lisa? Well, I'm in taper bliss, to be honest. I am relaxed, I'm not sore and I'm just... You know, easing my way into the New York Marathon in under two weeks. Woo! Ooh, very close now. Very close now. The other day, I downloaded the um, New York um, Marathon tracker app so I can track you, excellent, and, uh, and JT, and yep. see how everything is going. Excellent. Well, I think, um, given we are in Australia, I think Australian Eastern Standard Time, the race. Uh, is about 12.50 a.m. So yep. I think it's going to jeopardise your amazing sleep that you're uh... – <laughs> Well, I figure I'm already sleep deprived. So, you know, what's one more night of <laughs> broken sleep? Exactly. Oh, pressure, better perform now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, don't put yourself under pressure. And we're going to get to that later. Like we're going to talk today about mental conditioning mm. um, and good mental preparation yeah. for races and for the marathon in particular. So, um, yeah, which is good. So, yeah, That's... no, there's no pressure. No, it's all good. I'm, I'm learning from your demons from your previous <laughs> your previous marathon that uh, there'll be no mental pressure here. My shoulders are down. My neck's loose. I'm feeling good. <laughs> Excellent. Oh. That's that's very good. I like it. Um, so perhaps um. You could take us through what has been your first week of your almost a week of tapering. Is that right? Yeah. So interesting one this week, actually, because it was week 12, week 12 of my 14 week marathon program. And in my program, I had this listed as a semi taper week. And I, when I wrote it, I don't really know what it what it meant, but on upon reflection, I guess it was still try and get some volume out, but really start to ramp it down towards the tail end of the week. And I I had an interesting week actually, so I'll get into it. I'll just I'll start with where at the start of the week on a Monday. Uh, had my PT session, uh, and this was a good one because I had come off doing my longest ever run in the history of my life on the Saturday, the thirty four k, followed by. Uh, watching your challenging marathon on the Sunday, but didn't do anything. So on the Monday, I went to the gym on fresh legs, which I haven't done throughout this whole time of having my personal training. I felt amazing. You should have seen me spring. I Last week I was Lisa can't jump. Um, this week I was Lisa can't jump. <laughs> Lisa can't jump. Jumping off boxes, jumping onto boxes. No, I didn't do any of that because that's no. that's a bit silly. It doesn't. That is a bit silly at this stage. <laughs> no, I didn't do any of that. I felt so good and I just I started to get a bit ahead of myself, I'll be honest. I started thinking, well, after the marathon, I'm going to hit the gym and I'm going to get ripped and I'm going to be strong and I'm going to be fast and I still haven't even done the marathon, so... Anyway, well, back back to my marathon training. Yeah, that's right. One step at a time, Lisa, come on. <laughs> so I had an amazing PT and then I, on the Tuesday, um, I had what was a light session. So I'd been chatting to my coach on the weekend and on this week I had planned that Adam Didick 15K session that uh, we have spoken about previously on the podcast. You did mm-hmm. it in the Ballarat Lake Wendouree 15K and I was actually very interested in the um, in the session. 
And so uh, the coach said to me, well, what are your thoughts of doing it on the Wednesday instead of on the weekend? Because we had it planned originally in a race that was happening. And to be honest, I actually couldn't be bothered going to the race. It was all just a logistical nightmare for me. And so I said, you know what, that's fine. Um, and he said, oh, we'll just do some light training on the Tuesday and the Thursday. So in my head, light training was an easy 30 to 4-minute uh, run in his head it was very different so I got a bit of a shock when I turned up to training on Tuesday and had to do three by 1500 meter fartleks uh, yes but you know in hindsight I actually I, I guess I did see the purpose of it um, he just wanted it to be quicker than marathon pace the efforts were actually quite small so I think the longest one was about 250 meters um and the recoveries were sort of around the same. So he wanted it to feel quicker so that on the Wednesday when I did this marathon simulation effort, um, it actually all felt really easy. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I did that. That was fine. And then headed into Wednesday doing the 15-kilometre tempo, and just to refresh people's memories who hadn't heard us talking about it previously, it was 5Ks, slower than marathon pace, 5Ks at marathon pace, 5Ks faster than marathon pace. Um, I did it consecutively and so did you in that race. But did Mm. you mention that Adam had actually originally said that there was a break between the 5Ks? Yeah, there is. I think think he has had some of his athletes do it consecutively, but I think he usually does it with um, some kind of float in between the 5k efforts but mm. it's it's not a huge break yeah well from memory okay um, i might have to go back and listen to that but i didn't rest just did it all in one i uh, did it with my husband and then um, training partner who's also doing new york although we've got sort of different goal times but the weather on the wednesday was atrocious just again torrential rain lots of wind uh did it around our centennial park loop so ended up being just over four loops of of the of the park did it on the concrete um and i know this is supposed to be to heart rate and i put on a heart rate um strap uh, around my chest and i don't know i actually borrowed it off someone it must have been a male size it was so big i could have fitted two of me in it and it just it actually just drove me crazy it kept falling down and i'm fiddling around with this bloody thing getting quite annoyed at it um so ended up throwing it off after eight k's (laughs) <laughs> so you've, you've got to get onto the wrist-based heart rate it's the bomb oh, I'm gonna, i'll shout myself a gift at duty free at the airport <laughs> um so i ditched the heart rate monitor and just you know went by the watch so we so time wise we nailed it uh so the first 5ks was 21.43 which was a 421 average actually the second 5ks and i'm blaming my husband on this because he i don't know he was just obviously feeling really good um 2051 which was a 410 average yeah that's a bit quick (laughs) (laughs) way too quick and then a 2040 at a 408 average for the last one and bit quick again yeah so yes so a bit quick but a few takeaways from it First of all, when I did have the initial heart rate data, my heart rate was through the roof. Um, And it's not that I wasn't feeling great, but it was certainly a struggle. But then I hit eight kilometres and I actually remember saying to my husband, oh, finally, I'm actually starting to feel quite good. And the heart rate data went from 180 beats per minute 
and drop to 155 beats per minute in the range that it's supposed to be in. So this is a tricky one for me because having heart surgery before, I I feel like it plays with it. Um, And sometimes I struggle, 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 and then all of a sudden, I don't, it's as if my body starts to work properly. And, and, you know, my heart surgery that I had had was actually surgery where I, um, my blood pulled in my lungs and it didn't actually go out to the parts of my body that it needed to. So I'm not sure if there's repercussions. There must be just from the data and the way that I feel. And I often say I need a really long warm up. So um, after 8Ks, I felt amazing. I threw the heart rate monitor off then, but you know, if I go by what I felt and just judging by what the um, the data gave me, I, I would say that I obviously got into quite a good rhythm. So it's a really good message for me to go out slowly in this marathon because, as the data said, and even as I felt, I do eventually get into that rhythm, and I can get quicker and quicker and quicker. So. After that session, you know, you and I had a chat and uh, I think I even mentioned it on the podcast last week about re-evaluating my, my pace, um, going out in that 420 pace and then really starting to ease down. So um, a lot of positive takeaways. I really liked that session and all three of us who did it were really pleased with it. So um, It can give you a lot of really useful data, um, mm. especially if you've got a heart rate monitor on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, for half of it, I did. <laughs> um, but it does. So it's interesting. So my husband, annoyingly good he is, um, his average heart rate was 153 throughout the whole thing. So Yeah, that's cruising. Yeah. So it's, it's showing that he's definitely um, in the ballpark. It showed that maybe I need to ease in and, yeah. and ramp up at the back end. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's how I'm, I'm going to take into the, into the marathon. So, so when your heart rate dropped in that, um, Second 5K segment, it was, what was it? It was in the 150s, was that right? Yeah, 155. Yeah, which is not too bad for you given you're um, uh, 10 years younger than I am. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, 150s for you is um, is not a bad thing, whereas 155 for me is working too hard. Um, yeah, so my marathon um, heart rate, so 75 to 84%, is 139 to 156. So, yep. you know, it's at the higher end, but it's still it's still within yeah, range. Yeah, at the top end, yeah. Um, but as I said to you, it's just the way that I felt like and so getting that data to show me the correlation of the, even like my breathing and how easy it felt versus mm-hmm. that data shows, well, you know, there's obviously something in it. <laughs> um, yep. But, it, you know, maybe some people look at these things or don't want to look at them because they're scared to, but I like now – it's knowledge to me to say don't be afraid to go out slow because obviously I can come home hard yeah and it feels better rather than any time that you give up at the start you're likely to get back later so yeah exactly so for me I feel like I've finished this campaign of the training part of it on a high um, and going into this race with a lot of confidence so really pleased with that session so um then went downhill because my knee started to hurt. Oh, no. <laughs> so actually turned up um, on the Thursday thinking I'd have a nice easy jog and um, had some 400s to do. And I'll be honest, I was I was actually quite mentally fatigued too. Like I'd sort of climbed that mountain by the 34Ks um, 
and, you know, then did the the 15K tempo. So I felt like I was on a bit of a high. And then to do another session, I don't know, I didn't really, I just mentally wasn't in it and my knee was hurting as well. So I, I jogged around a few, um, pulled the pin, and that's actually the last day that I have run. I've been on rest, yin yoga and uh, physiotherapy since. Yep, little mini break. So how many days break are you? have you had and will you have? I've had four days break. I'm going to have a fifth day tomorrow and then I'm going to return with just an easy 25-minute jog uh, and then I'll see how I go after that. So um, I'm feeling really good. You know, I did two yin yogas in a row and I just mentally my body felt good. I'm just in a really good space actually. That's good. Mm. I, I think, yeah, as we talk, we're going to talk about later, maintaining that nice relaxed mindset that's um large part of the battle. Mm. Look, it really is. And I will say I, I headed out on the Sunday after having a couple of days rest because I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do one more sort of long run. I actually texted you before I went out and I was like, uh, what should I do? I don't know if I want to. <laughs> and then I headed out the door and I made a grand total of two kilometres. I'd stopped three times during those two Ks and I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> Like this is not worth it. So um, I was pretty proud of myself for just stopping rather than doing because, you know, I thought that I should rather than, you know, deep down I was like, you're just going to make your knee worse. So, um, yeah, so that was me, a grand total of 42Ks last week, Uh, finished on a high with that 15K and I'm well and truly into my taper. Fantastic. And it's, yeah, I'm getting excited for you now. It's very close, very close. Mm, it is close. So I head out in a week's time, uh, get to New York pretty much sort of five days, five, six days beforehand, uh, do a bit of jogging and uh, get ready for the big race. What are your strategies for um, getting over the time zone change? Oh, God, I don't have any. I am awful. So I'll be honest, my my first strategy is trying to fly business class. <laughs> <laughs> So I can get a nice, comfortable sleep. Um, I'm perfectly honest, I really suffer from jet lag. So it's actually one of the reasons why we're going over sort of six days beforehand. It can take me a good two to three days to get over jet lag. I've I've never been able to find a a remedy to change that. So if anyone has any suggestions, send them through. I'm willing to try anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure there's a few um, interesting takes on how to maximise um, avoiding jet lag out there. Oh. I think some some of them involve taking lots of sleeping pills, which doesn't make me feel very comfortable. No, yeah, no, I've, I don't know. I'll just I'll just go El Natural and uh, <laughs> work out at the other end. But um, hopefully, there's some sun at the other end that you can get out into and um, reset your body clock. Look, I hope so. I'm not sure. I haven't even looked at the weather. It shows how prepared I am. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what, well, have, what have you been up to? You're still tinkering? Yeah, still tinkering. Been wearing my toe spaces that we talked about last time. So just just been wearing those for one walk a day. Don't want to try to introduce them too aggressively because um, you never know. I, I don't want to like injure myself walking. I mean, that would be embarrassing. So, um, so, so yeah, yeah, just um, going for a, like a 20-minute walk in the toe spaces and wearing them around the house occasionally, but not overdoing it. But they feel pretty good. Um, feel like my toes are separating a bit, which is nice. Um, 
even though they've been stuck together for the last 40 years. So I'm not <laughs> it's sure. It's going to take a while. Yeah, look, I'm not sure how much of the sales pitch that's going to be for females who like to wear high heels like myself. <laughs> because... it's, it's not a sales pitch at all. <laughs> the thought of... Pretty much be the death of your high heels. So that's one of the things that I will be doing in New York is going shopping for some new high heels and the thought of having to put something in my feet that didn't enable me to wear them just horrifies me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh well, <laughs> I don't think it's the journey for you, Lisa. But it's um, it's it's fine for me. Um, so what else am I doing? Oh, I'm just getting to the tail end of that study that I'm doing, so I'll be finished that in about three or four weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, two minds about whether I'll do some more study or not. But um, don't do it. Have, I know. <laughs> I think maybe I might have a little break from it and perhaps apply some of what I've been what I've been learning about um, adult education in the tertiary sector. Mm. I might be able to apply some of that back into um, uh, something that we might be able to do around the podcast, um, either some more coaching or some resources and other bits and pieces. So, mm. I'm all for yeah, practicality. Some useful things. Mm. <laughs> yeah, me too. I kind of like. I really like getting in and just applying it rather than just thinking about it and writing about it and. Um, yeah, if you get out and apply what you've learned, you've got a better chance of um, actually retaining it and learning more from um, experimenting with different things. So mm. I'm a big fan of kind of getting into it and uh, seeing seeing what happens. Hey, so you're, you've done two weeks now of your rest and recovery. Uh, it's it only two? a bit over a week actually. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, it's only been. Wow. It's, only, it's, only, been, it's only been a week and a day. <laughs> I move on quickly. <laughs> yeah, you've moved on quickly. Yeah, it's only been eight days, I think, since the marathon. So, uh, oh, um, I was going to say, had the thought of running popped into your head, but since it's no, only eight days, of course not. <laughs> no, it it hasn't really. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to have this nice little relaxed um, rest period. Um, been working on getting more sleep, and that seems to be um, paying dividends. So. Uh, getting a few more hours each night, which is nice. Um, probably could still get a little bit more, but I think over the course of the next couple of weeks I should be able to build up my bank of sleep reserves um, and be feeling more refreshed for when I do think about starting running in a, in a few weeks' time. Mm. Um, body's recovered pretty well. I reckon I've got a, you know, the, the old, I'm like you, I've got a niggly ITB that we talked about a lot in the build-up and, I feel like that's a bit tight, so I'm going to do a little bit more stretching over the next um, few days because last year after the marathon I just kind of rested and thought everything would just heal itself magically by itself. Um, but I think this uh, this year I'll be a bit more proactive and do a bit more stretching so that uh, when I do start running, I don't start running with a, a niggly knee, which kind of delayed my training from commencing a bit last year. I don't know if you remember, it took me until almost sort of Christmas to get back up and running and uh, mm. Uh, into the the full flow of it, mm. um, but only myself to blame because I was lazy with my rehab. And yeah, this year I'll I'll, I'll be more energized and um, get stuck into that stuff a bit earlier. Yeah, very good. Any goals on the horizon, or still too early? Uh, probably not anything major. Only those couple of um, fun runs that I mentioned last time. So that one in Ballarat, the run for the cause in November, and the Goldfields Trail run in December. So. Mm. Just sort of cruise around those. Um, uh, yeah, see, um, I'll probably go and do a park run before Christmas uh, with a little bit of intensity if I'm going okay. 
Um, but yeah, it's all it's all dependent on um, how well I recover and how well I'm going. So mm. not setting any goals or times or pace expectations and any of that kind of stuff. Nice. I'm removing my attachment to the outcome, Lisa. Yeah, that is very, very good. And you're getting out of your own head. <laughs> just uh, no result, just enjoying the process. Yep, focusing on the process. Yes, I'm uh, embracing my inner sports psychologist. <laughs> But yeah, I've been doing a lot more thinking and I've been absorbing, uh, I sent a, an episode of this podcast that I've been listening to you, the Primal Endurance podcast, um, and that's by a guy called Brad Kearns and a couple of other people. He's a former professional triathlete. Um, he's very much into the Phil Maftone line of thinking, but um, he's got a whole bunch of other interesting ideas about endurance training. So I've really been enjoying trawling my way through some of his back catalogue of episodes. There's a, it's a really helpful, you know, sometimes you just find that piece of information at the right time that you're looking for. And yeah, after the, after I had a, that poor marathon finding this um, podcast, this resource, which has a really different kind of focus and mindset um, more, which is more along the lines of, I guess, what I'm trying to achieve with my running, which is more about health and longevity and enjoyment. Um, and maybe just letting the obsession about performance goals sort of fall away into the background a little bit more. Mm. Um, so, yeah, some really good stuff in there. So I'll link that up in the show's note, show notes for those who haven't haven't discovered it yet. He's also got a book called Primal Endurance, so he's got a whole philosophy and methodology about um, periodized training. Um, yeah, some good stuff there. Mm. Well, the one that you sent me, I've only just started listening to it, but I like his take on tapering. It's uh, very similar to mine, long taper. Yep, yep. And uh, and like what we talked about when we were talking about ta- our tapering episode, reducing volume, just retaining some really small mini sessions in there just to kind of keep the engine turning over. Um, but, yeah, dramatic reduction in volume, and, uh, yeah, just maintenance of a little bit of intensity. So, yeah, he's pretty consistent with what we talked about, which is good. Mm, very good. Um, yeah. So, and I sent you the other day, I'd, I've just been, every time I think of something that I want to try for um, later this year and next year in my training, um, so I've just created a, a little note and uh, put a bullet point on it with all the different things that um, I'm thinking about introducing for the next training campaign. Um mm. Should I go through a bit of that now or should we yeah. leave that for another episode? Uh, oh, we'll go through a little bit now. Some of it I, I tend to agree with actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, my God. What are you thinking? You've just completely <laughs> lost the plot. Uh, so, um, yeah, what are, yeah, some of the things I've been thinking about, I'll just go through this quickly and you know, maybe in a later episode we can kind of, uh, maybe you and I can do like a, an episode each on what we're going to change in detail and try and justify it to ourselves <laughs> or each other. I'm not sure which. For our next um, marathon. Well, yeah. I, do, I do need to caveat pending. <laughs> I want to do yeah, another marathon, right. but uh, look, I'm, I'm sure that I will. Yeah, I'm sure that you will too. Um, so, yeah, one of the things I've been thinking about um, for future is um, a possibly – place too much value on consistency, um, especially on a week-to-week basis. So I'm going to get around that in my next approach by um, forgetting about setting weekly kind of schedules and 
I think I'll actually go to a four-week training cycle. Um, I think two weeks is still perhaps too short for some of the things they want to try. So doing a four-week training cycle, which will have a lot more variety in it. Um, I'm also going to track yeah, – I'm also going to make sure I've got sort of variety in each training week within that four-week cycle. So every week will look a lot more – a lot different. Um, I did – feel on reflection that I've probably got a bit stale with um, some of the training that I'd laid out for myself. And after you've been doing it for, you know, four weeks or something, it's it's a good time to kind of mix it up and change. Um, your body definitely likes a bit of variety and new challenges and different ways of doing things. So I'm going to be doing that. Um, I'll probably make sure I'll be a bit more disciplined about doing that monthly MAF test um, just to keep track of my um, progress mm. and make sure I detect any potential um, regressions early. Um, what else have I got? Probably going to do more rest and just insert that as needed um, throughout the program. So almost like almost like not have a program, but just have like a set of guiding principles and some ideas for each four week block. And be a lot more flexible with the with the rest as needed. And is as this just as playing it, into your you don't like to write a plan? Plan. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that actually. That um, yeah, you made me make a plan, and now I'm thinking now I want to have a plan to not have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> I can see through this, <laughs> but I, I, I like it. You know, I think it, it probably actually suits my personality a bit more to kind of structure my training in that way. Um, yeah. Do you so know what I one I do like out of, um, I mean, I've got the full list in front of me, but mm. you've already mentioned it, is that two to four week cycle instead of this week to week type of programming. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely interested in exploring that um, because I have done reading and, you know, read about other systems, not just in Australia, that look at that, not just this week to week. And I think I mentioned to you yesterday that we get a bit stuck on that and, you know, I know that having sort of a nine-to-five job, it sort of it fits in quite easily into your structure but is it necessarily the best way to train? And, you know, my knee flares up often because I'm not giving myself enough rest from those long runs and I'm sure other people have got similar types of injuries and challenges like trying to cram all these things into seven days yeah. it's not a lot of time plus no. for the adaptation and the recovery and all the rest of it so that's without having even run this marathon yet that's actually already at number one on my list yep yeah, I think it allows you to get that sort of variety in each week. And um, one of the things that I'd also put in my list was having more variety in the anaerobic sessions or workouts. So um, one of the things I've been listening to in this series of podcasts um, that I've been kind of researching is um, the notion that it probably doesn't matter that much what faster running you do. So whether you do marathon pace, tempo pace or 10k or half marathon pace or 5k pace or sprinting um probably doesn't matter what you do you're still going to get um, a fairly similar kind of stimulus so for me that's just like uh, permission to like insert different layers of pace in each of those weeks and and i think i'll keep going with not having you know, multiple sessions in each week, um, but I can get my variety on a week-to-week basis by just varying the pace of those um, faster workouts when I do actually schedule them in after the base period. So mm. kind of excited to see what that looks like. 
Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that's a good one as well. Mm, and yeah, probably what else? Uh, a couple of good ones. Maybe uh, one of the things that are longer gaps between the very long runs. So um, mm, this I is a I've good mentioned one already. Like starting, yeah, starting starting building mileage a bit earlier and getting those really long runs and doing more of that kind of um, run walking, uh, like the Phil Maffetone idea of um, doing half hour walking at either end of a two-hour long run, you're out there for three hours, but um, you only ran for two hours, so a lot less hard on the body. And if there are um, long runs that need to be done and you definitely probably can't get away from the fact that you need to do them, putting longer gaps between them. I've sort of tried putting two weeks between runs of over two hours, but I think that's not enough time for me at least Mm. um, to properly recover from them. Yeah, and I think what I like what you've done here is you're looking at this, you're not an elite runner, you're never going to be elite. Um, Oh, really? (laughs) Dash my dreams. I'm sorry to dash your dreams. (laughs) Um, And that's the majority of the population. So to try and train like the elites do, I feel like it's sort of setting yourself up for failure but it stepping is. away and looking at going, okay, so what are the things that I need out of a program to help me improve, you know, to take my time from 3.35 to 3.30 or 3.20, um, but, you know, not copying whatever, you know, some elite person's doing just because they do two long runs a week or, you know, and extend it by 5Ks every week. You know, that's probably not going to work for you. Your your body's not like that. You're not as genetically um, yep. blessed as they are. Uh, the genetic freak factor is a it's a big thing in all of this. So, um, yeah, if you're blessed with those kind of genetics where you can tolerate that really high level of training, not many people have those um, advantages. So, yeah, as you're saying, there's no point trying to train like that because you definitely break yourself. Yeah. So, and I think you, you're doing a really good job of stepping back and going, well, what does work for me? And, I, you know, I really want people to step back, you know, if they've just done a marathon recently or whatever event, and look at that, you know, get the, the all of the different types of training methodologies, but pick bits and pieces that work for them, their lifestyle, their genetics, you know, and even their body. Like I have to take into account my dodgy hips. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, I'd love to be out doing a two, two-and-a-half-hour run every Sunday, but when I do, I get runner's knee, and yep. I'm sitting here with it now, which is a perfect example of why I can't do it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I noticed in both um, last year and this year's campaign that during the training block it was actually the first run of close to two and a half hours that was actually the best one um and i found that all of the subsequent ones were not as not as good pace wise and certainly didn't feel as good as well so um i think you know that's definitely giving me something to think about that um the frequency of those very long runs needs to be thought about and spaced out a lot more um and uh, it also sort of says that you can actually do like quite a, a good performance off not that much long, longer training in terms of doing very long runs. Like I've had a couple of really good first long run sessions in each of the marathon campaign and you're just thinking in those runs you probably could have kept going and run a marathon without having done, you know, a block of six weeks of churning out these um, two-and-a-half-hour runs. So I haven't exactly quite processed all of that and what it means, but that was just an interesting thing that I noticed um, looking back at my training diary for both for both marathons. Mm. And you'd be silly not to take that into account, like doing mm. the same thing over and over again when it's not working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're exactly. not going um, to improve. So that's why this so, data is so good. 
It is. It's useful. And so I'll just give you a couple of other things um, that I was thinking about. One, I think um, keeping durations of harder effort quite short. Um, I think there's probably a lot of value in doing sessions that don't go beyond 12 minutes of harder running um, and maybe even some that are shorter than that in terms of duration because, you know, I was doing those 5K race pace fartleks Mm. and in the end I think I ended up doing one that was 20 minutes but before that I'd kind of been doing, you know, 12 minutes, 14 minutes, 16 minutes. I don't know whether there's that much value or stimulus for me doing more than um, about 12 to 15 minutes worth. Um, Maybe 12 minutes is enough. So one of the things I'm thinking about is just sort of restricting the volume, particularly on those faster running um, sessions Uh, because I reckon there's probably enough stimulus without having to um, just keep churning out the the repetitions. Look, maybe, you know, if and when you become a sub three hour marathoner, maybe there's more merit in needing to do some of those quicker things for longer. But you know, you're probably going to get more benefit of, as you're saying, just doing the, the small bursts. Um, so you are recovering, so you can, you know, continue to do the rest of the training rather than absolutely killing yourself. Yeah, that's right. And look, one, one of the uh, one of the episodes um, that I listened to on the Primal Endurance podcast that sort of um, pressing Phil Maffetone on like the amount of anaerobic training that you would do and he sort of said from his coaching and clinical experience that he felt like two to four weeks um, as part of a cycle would be enough and he would generally err on the side of two weeks being better for most people um, as being enough stimulus to kind of get you ready um, for any particular endurance kind of race at least um and yeah he cited a number of examples of where he'd had athletes that he was coaching um at a elite world um level and some of them had even produced like best performances with not doing any anaerobic training so just totally off their aerobic work so Mm. um, so yeah that's something to think about as well just in terms of structuring a very short block of that kind of training Mm. um, rather than kind of dragging it out for you know six or eight weeks or or whatever it was so yeah and i um, think tailoring that yeah tailoring that so i enjoy that short aerobic type of training but that's where my strengths are whereas you probably don't enjoy it as much so why force Um, it into a program when it's not really what you're training for during a marathon. Yeah, look, I actually do enjoy that kind of running. Um, So, yeah, the temptation for me might be to kind of do that more than I should, whereas, yeah, as we've been talking about, the highest priority for me is to continue to build this big aerobic engine, I think, um, and build up my endurance because that's definitely not a strength because I haven't been able to stack – uh, year upon year of training so it's been very inconsistent since high school so um, uh, even though I've had a couple of challenges obviously with this marathon and had a little break after the last one at least now I've got two years where I've done a really big block of aerobic training in both of those years so trying to get another year like that and then another year like that's sort of my priority so getting whilst I do like i prefer i prefer running faster it's kind of you know at least in the short term it's more fun and it does give you more of an endorphin rush but equally it's pretty stressful on the body so it comes with a higher injury risk um and for me to sort of keep developing as an athlete i think i've just got to keep focusing in on developing that endurance base for Mm. the foreseeable future oh fair enough i was wrong you like the short sharp stuff i do (laughs) (laughs) I do i do like it um 
Yeah, so I think um, they're probably kind of like them. I've got a, a whole, whole list of things which I'll go into in more detail later, but there's some of the things that I'm thinking about um, uh, doing um, next time around. Um, so, yeah, it's good. It's good to sit back and the, f- the longer you get back from the event and the training block, the more kind of holistically you can reflect upon the the body of training that you've just done mm. um, and you can find lots of little nuances and um, patterns that you can um, potentially have a think about um, changing into the future. But, but yeah, in summary, it'll be kind of a it'll be a plan not to have a plan (laughs) (laughs) with some guiding principles attached well in 14 days time i will sit down and write a very detailed list (laughs) (laughs) and then we can come and compare notes because no doubt i will have a plan (laughs) you will have a plan to have a plan (laughs) i'm having to stop myself at the moment from already planning i've got i've already eyed off a couple of events and you're telling me just get through this first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one thing at a time, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, very good. Uh, excellent. Well, is that a good time for us to um, have a chat about mental preparation so we can get your mind like in the in the optimal state for, yeah. for good performance at, at New York? Mm, let's do it. Okay, after this. So tell tell me tell me about your mindset, Lisa. Get on the couch. <laughs> Do you know what? I am actually on the couch. Uh, Excellent. That's good. Uh, so I'm clearly, as I keep on saying, I'm in a really good mindset um, at the moment. And after so many years of of running, I can certainly tell you times where I haven't been in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. And, you know what I mean by that is. There have been times where a race or a result has been so important to me that I have just overthought it, overcomplicated it, and then when I've had to come to perform, I haven't been able to because I've been so stressed and hung up that I haven't actually just relaxed and allowed the training, you know, to do the work because I've been in my own head too much. Yeah, yeah. And the more you think about it, the more stressed you get and the the more – cortisol's pumping around in your body and yep. it's just you've just become absor- exhausted. Yeah. So ever since now from last year and learning so much about the effects of like um, cortisol and, and, and stress, uh, I'm actually – I feel like I've improved a lot being able to control that and certainly for this particular marathon, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot to avoid that um, and I'm doing a lot to just sort of – relax you know there are times so I was doing I did two classes of yin yoga this weekend and you know there were times where I was just thinking about nothing and there are times where I was just running the race through my head and the whole time I was just thinking you know stay relaxed it is just a race and others I think said I think last week like I'm I have enjoyed this process more and I I don't think I want the result that badly so I think that's why I'm I'm feeling so relaxed it's good you have detached yourself from your attachment to the outcome. Very good, Grasshopper. Oh, I really have. But I want to take you through an example when I haven't and what happened. So a couple of years ago, uh, I when I returned to running after having my first 
child, I decided I wanted to have an assault on breaking 10 minutes for the 3K. And I had announced it sort of, you know, early on in the year. And the to race, the world on Instagram? Oh, to, you know, to anyone that would listen. Like I was telling them, I'm breaking 10 minutes at the end of the year. So the race was in November, the end of November, by the way. And so, you know, 12 months earlier, I was, I'm going to break 10 minutes. And every single race I did, every single training session I did, I was so hung up on this breaking 10 minutes for this 3K. So I was, you know, training and all of my training indicated that not only should I break 10 minutes, I should be well and truly under 10 minutes. And I was running 72, 73 second, 400 meter reps. And a text message that you sent me was, why are you doing them so fast? You only need to run 79 80s. That's right. <laughs> All but, of your overtraining indicated that you, you might break 10 minutes or break. <laughs> I, every session that I approached, and I don't necessarily mean the long runs because I wasn't doing anything more than 60 minutes, but my mm. actual um, like workouts – I was completely overtraining. Every workout was a race. I was going into them. Sometimes I was nervous going to training thinking, oh, my God, am I going to run faster than last week? Like That is the most ridiculous mindset to be in. And so by the time the race came along, honestly, I was exhausted. I can actually still picture it in my mind and me going for this warm-up. And the race was at night and they were running a bit behind schedule. So I don't think I actually raced until about 9 p.m., and I was so tired. And I remember saying to my husband, I don't think I can even like make the first lap. Like I'm exhausted. But what had actually happened is I had worked this event so much in my head that it was, you know, and I wasn't working at the time. So I think that was probably worse. I just had made my whole existence around breaking this stupid time. And I didn't do it. I didn't even get close. I ran 10.17, which, you know, still is not a bad time, but it is nowhere near breaking 10 minutes. And I just, I finished and I, you know, I was satisfied because I had nothing left and my whole existence was around that damn event. And it never again is all I'm going to say. <laughs> I completely learnt my lesson. I like it. Um, yes. And yeah. I think like there's, you know, there's such a significant difference between having a goal and being dedicated to it and then being completely consumed by it. And, yes. you know, I think the best people are able to set goals and be driven towards them, but have got an amazing ability to switch off and relax so that they are not so consumed by it. And so that they're wasting nervous energy and are able to use that in their actual performance. And I yeah, was yeah, not that. able to do that. Yeah. And I think those two, those people do a better job than uh, probably what I did on just focusing on on their process um, and letting uh, letting the process drive the outcome rather than obsessing about the outcome um, and trying to make your process fit that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like getting it the wrong way around because um, yeah, we are humans, so um, you've got you've got to kind of respect respect your body because you're not a robot. So. Um, even though you've got this goal and you think you're going to do it, um, yeah, you've you've got to accept the fact that there'll be a lot of variation during your training, um, and you know you might have a bad day on the day. So, um, trying to then continue to force um, the outcome, as I did, <laughs> can end can end in tears. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, and I think you know, like yourself and others, if you set a goal. 
and you know mentally you're telling yourself i can do this i will do this i want to do this but in doing so you're often squashing other factors you know like yourself with the stress you yeah. you're kind of numbing everything instead of being able to feel what's actually going on and therefore you know you doing that resulted in a i guess not the result that you wanted no that's right and it it, it does it just it kind of closes your mind to um, um, seeing what's right in front of your face in my case because I, I can still remember looking down at my heart rate early in the marathon going, oh, that's way too high, and then turning it off so I didn't have to look at it. <laughs> like, that's that's just denial, isn't it? Well, um, it's complete denial, and I've got another example of that is before I went and got tested last year and uh, came back with my results that were just not very good, I went and did a half marathon because last year I – wanted to do the marathon but uh, realised very early on that there was no way I was going to be able to have a baby and turn around coming back in a matter of months. So decided that I was going to do the half marathon so that I could run the qualifying time to for New York. And my qualifying time I think was an hour 32. Um, yeah. And up until that point I had never raced a half marathon even remotely like um, – uh, slower than that. So in my mind, I thought, well, th- this is going to be really easy. But like you, I was squashing all the external signs. It came to race day and I always run with a watch. And this particular day I said to myself, I'm going to do something different. You know, I'm not going to run with a watch. So I didn't run with a watch. And now that I can be honest about it, I didn't run with a watch because I didn't want to know the truth. The truth was <laughs> I was in all sorts. I was in trouble. I I had health issues. I wasn't fit enough, all these sorts of things, which if I had have gotten out of my own head and I had have actually listened and I had have let go of this damn result, I would never have started. I would never have gotten onto that start line. Yep. Yep. And. Yeah, it's so easy to do. It's so easy (laughs) to do. Um, Yeah, I started reading a book actually. I haven't got too far into it at this point, but I I really love it. the philosophy of it. Um, people have probably heard of this one because it's a bit of a bestseller, but it's the subtle art of not giving a F word. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We, I actually haven't read it. Uh, my husband's got it. I, I can see it right now on, on the bookshelf. <laughs> have, have a read of it. It's all about detaching yourself from the outcome. It's really good. Yeah. Well, that might be my, that might be my plain read, actually. I reckon, yeah. I reckon. Mm. So I wonder how, yeah, I wonder how elite athletes do it, and this might be sort of something for us to go and have a little bit of a, a look at. And I'm sure it's that ability to have you have a goal, but also that ability to relax. How do you learn to relax? Mm. Yeah, I wish I knew the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look, I, th- I think in all honesty, it's all of the stuff that we've been talking about, and whenever I hear. Um, it's usually actually sports psychologists or coaches when they're interviewed. They often, they very much focus in around process things. Um, and I think that allows the athletes to relax quite a lot more because, you know, all you have to think about is turning up and ticking this box, one part of the process and do that well. Um, and if you do that enough times, then the outcome kind of takes care of itself. So mm. um, I, I think we're on the right track with the way, way that we're thinking and look, you know, sometimes elite athletes don't handle that well either. Like there's plenty of examples of people who've turned up with high expectations and not being able to perform because the stress um, and the performance expectation is just so overwhelming. Mm. Um, 
and that's just being human. Like even though they can run fast, they're they're people like us, Lisa. We should be <laughs> kind to them. <laughs> no, they are people like us. Yeah. So look, I think you know my tips f- from it, and not not that I'm an elite athlete, but is you know have your goal, set your goal, but also realize that it's actually not the end of the world. Um, try and go in as relaxed as possible, and uh, yeah, every time that I've done that. I've had a really nice experience, which I think is the number one and yep. often a really good and, outcome. And absolutely. And look, you know, like I, I, you know, compared to what I was thinking I was going to do, I had a pretty terrible day out in my race, but really it's, it's not that bad. Like it didn't do me any, any permanent harm. Um, it hasn't destroyed my, my spirit or my self-esteem. Like it is okay. So, um, yeah, if the worst does happen, like it's it's really is not the end of the world. Mm. I think the biggest thing that I took away, and I think I've already mentioned this, is just be really flexible in your approach because conditions or external factors um, or, you know, just variations in your own um, health or well-being might dictate that you, you have to kind of be a bit more flexible in the way that you actually approach the race on the day and the quicker you can make that adjustment, I think the better experience that you, you're going to have. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. Mm, well, I think um, uh, I think we've got you well prepared there, Lisa. I reckon you're in a pretty good headspace for this. Um, yeah. Sounds like you've almost mastered the subtle art of not giving enough word <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you're all set for a... Uh, a uh, a good fun um, experience in New York. Oh, well, I hope so. I, look, I am honestly looking forward to it, and I'm genuinely looking forward to the event as well. You know, people that I've spoken to have said, "Oh, you know, it's not necessarily the quickest course, but the atmosphere alone is something that you're always going to remember." So, you know, I whenever I hear people say that, I sort of get like this warm and fuzzy like glow inside, <laughs> um, thinking, "Well." you know what, they're the type of things that you do remember as well. So um, I definitely want to be in a state that I can absorb it, that I can enjoy it, and I want to walk away with a great story and yes. hopefully that's not in the back of an ambulance or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yes, no, that, you definitely don't want to end up there having seen people being poured into them um, a week ago. No, no, definitely not. So, um, yeah, I feel like so far I've, I've mentally detached from the, from the outcome and I'm absolutely just going to enjoy the event itself. I like it. Well, we're, I think we're close to a wrap, but um, what are you doing for the next week or so? In your, oh, your team, not- given your T minus <laughs> two weeks. I'm not doing a lot, to be perfectly honest. I'm going to do a bit of yoga. Uh, I'm not going to run until Wednesday this week, just an easy 25 minutes. Uh, I'm, my knee is going to determine what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm really living by that quote that you sent through to me a couple of weeks ago of get to the start line 100% healthy and 80% trained. Um, and as I said to you, like for me, the work's done. Like all of the, the things that I could have done, I've ticked them off. I've done that really long run. I've done that tempo. I've done a couple of those marathon tempos. So, um, I just need to get this knee fixed. And if I go in with this knee fixed, I know that I'll get to the end. Yep. Sounds good. So relaxing, relaxing two weeks out week for Lisa. Mm, Absolutely. And I must admit, so my husband has a sweet tooth as well. I know we speak about this a bit, but um, I bought, because we're going away and we're not taking our girls with us for the first part of our holiday, um, I thought we leave before Halloween and not that it's a huge thing in Australia, but obviously it's a, it's a big thing overseas, especially America, but uh, we live on a street where there's 
lots of families. So we sort of just get involved and do a street thing. So I thought, right, I'm going to be super organized. I'm going to pre-buy the costumes. I'm going to pre-buy the snacks that we, you know, that we give to the children. (laughs) (laughs) And you've eaten them? (laughs) We have eaten, and this is a collective we because it's not just myself, but my husband and I have eaten nearly all, like two bowls full of like delicious chocolatey like twirls and milky ways and smarties and <laughs> oh so <laughs> now that i'm not running as much i was like come on you know pull yourself together like healthy food and epic fail so far <laughs> you've been doing a sugar detox after this marathon <laughs> oh look, it's, it'll be in my plan we'll discuss it afterwards <laughs> excellent uh, I like it. Yeah, are um, you doing anything special now that I've realised you're only eight days post marathon? Yeah, no, nothing special. Continuing to rest, continuing to get more sleep. I have kind of started um, implementing some very minor dietary changes. Um, oh, tell me, tell me. I need yeah. some motivation. <laughs> well, not, yeah, as I say, nothing major yet, but um, uh, before I actually started this block of training, I did. Um, Phil Maffetone's two-week yeah, carbohydrate I intolerance test. It's really um, good. You feel yeah. amazing afterwards. It's a good thing to try, but definitely not a good thing to try if you're in the middle of a training block or leading up to a race. So no. um, it's the kind of thing that if you are going to try it, like doing it after your big event um, would be the time to have a bit of a play around with it. But, but yeah, just sort of gradually um, this week and next week probably just gradually reduce some of my carbohydrate intake and sort of increasing some of my um, healthy fat intake and yeah probably the, in a week or so I might actually do that two-week test again as a bit of a reset because um, part of part of the reason why I want to do it is actually um, just to kind of manage um, blood sugar levels a bit better and from what I've been reading over the last couple of years those sort of dietary factors can also sort of impact a little bit on your level of stress and release of stress hormone and that kind of thing. It's all part of the uh, getting healthy and uh, well before starting to train again. Mm, I think so, that's yeah, doing, really good doing advice. that. Yeah, which is good. So, yeah, I've got, I've got to expand my um, sort of repertoire of cooking in that that line of line of eating because yeah you know having having grown up with a lot of uh carbohydrate based meals and whatnot um you've got to kind of think a bit more laterally about how you do your cooking actually confession i bought a cookbook yesterday well done (laughs) maybe you can give me some tips (laughs) so i hate cooking i can cook but god i hate it like i just you know i find running relaxing and i know that some people get step into the kitchen and they're like oh it's so therapeutic um I wish I had that happen to me, but I don't. I get quite tense and stressed. So anyway, I bought a cookbook and I thought, right, post-marathon, you and me cookbook, we're getting acquainted. <laughs> Excellent. I like it. So there we go, a little bit of dietary stuff, um, more toe spaces, more more planning to not have a plan and, yeah, finishing this study because, yeah, I'm, I'm really ready to finish that. Very good. So that's it. I think, I think that's us until um, next week and we'll be talking to you again with – Less than a week to go. I know you'll be talking to me and I'll be nearly about to depart to the airport. So Yeah, we better get a recording done before you jump on the plane. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty excited. One week till takeoff. Excellent. All right. Um, look forward to um, chatting to you next week. You have been listening to the Running Technique Tips podcast with Brian Martin and Lisa Biffin. See you later. Hello, Brian here with a Stop the Press. After we finished our recording of this week's episode, 
we had a listener question from John Webb via Instagram. John had cited um, a little bit of, um, I guess, almost um, frustration when his GPS watch was recording the fact that he had actually finished a half marathon or a marathon and uh, it then turned out that there were still um, 300 or 500 metres to go until the finish line. I'm, I'm guessing that's a bigger issue where the either mile markers or kilometre markers um, are either not present or not that well defined out on the course. That can definitely throw you out. And John sort of mentioned that um, he felt that the distances may have been because he didn't run the shortest possible course in those events. And I think that's that's quite possible. Like in mass participation runs, it's really hard to um, uh, run the run the shortest tangent and get through the corners as as quickly as um, possible. Um, there's a lot of other people around. You've got to try and get your drinks and that kind of thing. So um, it's pretty hard just to run the absolute shortest possible distance. So I guess you, know, you kind of got to just accept that one. But I think the other issue is more like or, or the a lot of the differences in distance that the GPS records compared to the actual course as measured, um, I think that actually does come about by inaccuracies in your GPS. I'm a bit of a Luddite, uh, quite late to the party on GPS watches, but for the last couple of years when I have been using one, I've certainly found it to be quite inaccurate. Um, For example, last year when I ran the marathon, uh, my GPS actually thought that I had run 43 kilometres. So it was was about 800 metres out over the course of the marathon distance. Perhaps a little bit of that was um, me not running the, running the shortest tangent as well. Quite inaccurate. So one of the things I did to remedy that, um, and this is something you can do other than discard your watch and buy a new one that you hope might be more accurate, um, is to actually adjust the automated split um, that the, the watch was giving me feedback on. So I found in my first marathon that the auto split was going off um, for a kilometre quite a bit before the actual kilometre marker came up in the race and that was quite disconcerting because I was trying to run a pace goal like everyone else. So yeah, that was a bit disconcerting and I found that um, I just dropped further and further and further away from my goal pace because I was relying on my GPS, which turned out to be quite inaccurate. So what I did to remedy that was to actually adjust that automated split um, to increase it from one kilometre to one kilometre and 20 metres. And that has actually proved to be a pretty good remedy because um, now when the uh, kilometre split goes off, the GPS thinks of I've run one kilometre plus 20 metres, but I've actually um, only run a kilometre. So it picks up now quite accurate kilometre splits when I'm in events where there is a a measured course. So it's usually pretty close now. So that's something you could try, John. In terms of running the tangents, yeah, that's tough. Unless you're at the front of the pack, which um, I guess most of us are not, um, pretty hard to get that really tight line through the course. But definitely see if your GPS will allow you to adjust your kilometre splits because that will give you a better idea of how you're going during the race and whether you're on your goal pace or not. Hope that's helpful and we will be back um, in a few days time with the next episode. Bye.